Welcome to the Willing to Listen South Bruce Proud podcast. Willing to Listen is a grassroots volunteer group based in South Bruce, Ontario, that is dedicated to thoroughly investigating multiple aspects of Canada's proposed deep geological repository for spent nuclear fuel. I'm Sheila Wittick, and I'm so excited to have you join me as we delve into this controversial project. My guest today is Jack Volpato. He is the chairman of the Mayor's Nuclear Task Force in Carlsbad, New Mexico, and also a lifelong resident of the area. And we are going to talk all things community related to the WIP facility. Hello. Hi, Sheila. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Good, good, good. That's good. Thanks so much for doing this. This is awesome. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. My pleasure. Okay. If you don't mind just taking a couple of minutes and introducing yourself for our listeners. Hello, I'm Jack Fulpato. I am the chairman of the Mayor's Nuclear Task Force here in Carlsbad, New Mexico. I'm a former county commissioner here, and uh, I am one of the founding board members for the Eddie Lee Nuclear Project uh, in, in uh, conjunction with Holtec. Lifelong resident of this area, I was born and raised here. I'm a businessman. I own uh, several businesses here, and I'm heavily invested in this community. You're the right guy to talk to then about community perceptions of this facility. Well, I, you know, growing up here, when I was a teenager, this was proposed and my father was on the uh, city council at the time and he was, we were having discussions and I was actually against the project when it was first brought out. I didn't understand how they could make it safe and how they could keep it out of the environment. And, um, you know, the more I got educated and learned about it, the, the, then I turned my, my perception around and as well. A lot of people in the community did. So what was the general community perception um, in that time frame when they were, I guess, investigating bringing the facility to Carlsbad? Like what was the, what did the community think about that at first? Well, I think there was a lot of confusion and worry, uh, to be absolutely honest. I think you saw the businessmen and the people like the Chamber of Commerce, and, and those people were really behind this, and they, they saw it as a good business opportunity. As a matter of fact, they went out and recruited uh, the DOE to come look at Carlsbad because they had been kicked out of Lyons, Kansas, for trying to put this in, their, in the salt beds in Kansas. And so, you know, they, they actively pursued it, whereas the general population were like, okay, wait a minute, you're going to bring radioactive uh, waste that was left over from making a, a nuclear weapons and, and put it here. How, how are you going to do that? And how are you going to be safe with it? And I think, I think there was a lot of concern. We actually had some local anti-groups form up at the time when it first came out. Yeah, understandably so too. I, I find nuclear is one of those, it's one of those things that not a whole lot of people know very much about it. And the things people do know are generally terrifying even though they are very rare, very rarely do they happen, you know, but people immediately think of Chernobyl and, you know, Fukushima and like Hiroshima and things like that. And it's what I find hard is, is breaking the tie between like a storage facility and then an active bomb or nuclear plant melting down. Like, did you, did you ever find that, that people were making the comparisons? Without a doubt, that was the same time that Three Mile Island had its incident. And so, oh, you know, and then that movie came out, uh, you know, um, with um, Jane Fonda. China uh, Syndrome. Well, China Syndrome? China Syndrome, yes, exactly. And so people were drawing parallels to that and were like, oh, we don't want that here. 
And, you know, one of the best things that happened in that whole thing is that DOE saw that they needed to get somebody down here to educate the public. And they got a, a gentleman, a wonderful gentleman named Wendell Wirt. And he was from Sandia Labs and he was a PhD physicist, but he was very relatable. Okay. He didn't talk over anybody's head and he certainly didn't talk under them, but he knew how to communicate the idea and the concepts of the, of the facility to the people. And they put him on a whirlwind tour. He'd go to the Lions Club. He'd go, you know, anybody that wanted to hear about it, he would go and talk to it. He went to schools. He went all across the state, not just, not just local, but all across the state. And wow. really after he, after his after his uh, little maiden voyage, people started coming around and getting behind the idea. Yeah, and I do find that in general, the more people learn about nuclear projects, the more accepting they become of them because they they actually, if they're open to learning about it, you know, they figure out it's not as terrifying as as it sounds, and they learn about you know the safety precautions that are taking place and all of those extra things that a lot of times don't get looked at unless you're at a facility or near a facility? Well, absolutely. Yesterday, they uh, celebrated their 18,000th shipment just yesterday. I saw yesterday. that. I saw that online. Yeah. And, and you got to understand with, with that 18,000 shipments, they came from everywhere. They came from Idaho. They came from New York. They came from Savannah River. They came from Oak Ridge, of course, Los Alamos, all the DOE, Hanford, all the DOE sites that were involved in weapon making. With all those road miles, there was not ever a single incident or accident uh, where any kind of anybody was hurt or any, you know, waste was dislodged or released or anything. It, it is a remarkable safety record. And, you know, we really hang our hat on that. Uh, it, it's, it's very comforting for people to see, you know, when you used to see those trucks coming down the road, you kind of like, oh, here they come. Now it's just, it's a second thought. It, you, I, I'm more concerned about the oil tanker going down our road. There is some scary I, stuff on the road. Like there is some yeah. scary stuff out there already. I know like we get trucks of, of hydrochloric acid <laughs> delivered oh. to work. And I'm like, really? Like this is scarier than <laughs> anything that's going to come anyway. Um, Absolutely. How has the facility been received since it's been constructed in, in operations? Like how has that, has oh. that changed perceptions? Has that made... It, acceptance more it is, it is a pillar of the uh, community a pillar of the economy i mean those are good paying jobs out there i mean they have good benefits they're great jobs to have and they're readily available i mean and, and there's a whole gamut of them everything from working fire and security to actually being a miner and mining the salt maintenance and then of course you have the nuclear people that are there monitoring and, you know, I mean, there's, it's a whole gamut of, of things and it's come to be a very stable part of our economy down here. Whereas we have a lot of extractive industries such as potash and oil and gas, which are up and down. And, you know, to have a, a, a steady state sort of economy with WIP, that is very valuable. And they're also great community partners. Uh, the, uh, NWP who runs, um, who has the contract to run with, they have a community outreach program. They're always giving to the community. They work, they volunteer at the Girls and Boys Club. They have, uh, uh, and when science fairs come along, they are right in there with it. 
they even actually try to recruit and act uh, seniors from uh, um, the high school. They also have internship programs, which are very valuable out there. They have really ingrained themselves as a good community partner here. Do you ever have people in the community opposing the project who claim that those kind of things are bribery to get the community to accept the facility? Because I know we hear that story up here a lot, which I think is kind of ridiculous. Like the NWMO is really good at donating to the communities to make sure that, you know, they're better than they found them. And our opponents always say that they're bribing us into taking this waste. And I see it as good as good corporate citizenship, but not everyone sees it that way. So do you ever get that conversation down there? No, we. I have never heard that art, our argument. That's very intriguing because I've never heard that down here. We're happy to have people to help in our community. You know, whether it's wor working at the beach, you know, putting in, uh, you know, f donating to put facilities in down at our beach uh, along the, the lake to improve that or to sponsor an event with the Boys and Girls Club. I don't think anybody has ever questioned the motives. I think they believe they're genuine and they're, they're welcome. Yeah, I, I personally, personally think that, you know, this bribery question, that narrative that's being spun is to just make people not trust the NWMO. That's my opinion. I would probably throw it back at them and say, so you would rather them not give us money and us, you know, have services suffer, whether it, whatever, whatever they're donating to, you know, you don't want money going to the boys and girls club. You don't want money going to the library. I'm not sure what the upside is for that. Yeah. It's uh, I think it's just one of those narratives that gets spun to try to sway people's opinions. Yeah, but. We, we always actively engage private industry, whether it's the oil industry or the potash industry, to be good corporate citizens down here and help the community. And, and they all step up. So, I, you know, if you're going to make that argument against uh, a nuclear facility, then, then you would have to make that against the potash companies and the oil and gas companies, which I, I, I just don't see that having yeah. any legs. Well, and I had it was funny. The municipality um, here in South Bruce put out a list just the other day of free holiday skating times that certain companies had come forward and donated money to cover these free skating. And it's, I try not to make other things about the DGR because I don't like when people do that, but I so badly wanted to say, oh, all these, all these uh, companies are bribing the community and letting them stay this donation. <laughs> but I, I didn't because that would be in poor taste, but I did think it. Yeah. Yes. We've also heard, I think a lot of people have heard about the incident at the WIP facility um, in 2014. Did that have any negative effect on community perceptions or the overall environment in general? There was, a, there was some initial panic. I was actually, I was at that time, I was, a county, I was the county commission chairman and I was back in Washington, D.C. when it happened. Oh, wow. And uh, they, they shoved me on NPR radio and... Uh, tried to grill me a bit you know mm -hmm. but uh it, it it you know once we got back and i got back to the community there was some panic they they didn't know how much had been released and we had a little bit of a disconnect there for about 24 hours with doe not letting the contractor engage the public with what is what they had and i think we've we've certainly made inroads into keeping the lines of communication open and active that was a lesson learned. Once we got, you know, to the incident and found out what caused it and what was happening 
and, and, and the amount of uh, radioactivity that was released, then I think everybody took a sigh of uh, a breath of relief. And then we started doing root cause analysis and started saying, well, okay, what, how did this happen? And, and what do we need to prevent it? And if it does happen again, what are we going to do? And so it, it really, it shook up the culture at uh, the WIP site. They became more Basically, it, it empowered the workers that if they saw something they weren't happy with to go to management and address it, and mm -hmm. then they would work the problem. And it's really turned the facility around as far as efficiency and safe, their safety record has really improved. And, and I think that, uh, you know, there were more positives that came out of the incident than negatives. You know, for the longest time, the company that was running it had had an infrastructure improvement program and it was $10 million for five years. So $50 million to improve infrastructure. It's, you know, it's, it's a salt mine, things corrode, things, you know, wear out. Yep. And so we, uh, uh, they went forward and DOE wouldn't fund it until after the incident. <laughs> then they just said, they just said, how much do you need? What do you need to get fixed? And, and to that point, we're still working on things now. We're working on the supplemental ventilation system. It's a giant mega help HEPA filter that will yeah. run everything under filtration and increase the uh, amount of what we can do underground. See, before we ran unfiltered air and we ran, you know, you could, you could mine, you could do waste emplacement, you could do uh, ground control, which is basically bolting the ceiling and, okay. and, and shaving walls because the salt is actively moving. So you have to maintain it. Yep. Um, we can't do that now because we don't have enough air, but when we get the SSCVS system in uh, to provide more air and we're getting ready to start up a new fan system and we're going to sink a new shaft, those all three things will get us back to taking a lot of shipments. You know, the, the bottom line is, is that we want to increase shipments to get the, the waste out of places that are fairly you know, around human beings and around environment uh, concerns such as waterways and, and watersheds and, and things like that and get them 2,000 feet in the ground in the salt bed where they're going to stay a million years and they decay into nothing. Yeah. And I find that is the hard thing, obviously looking and trying to understand people's concerns, which is not always easy to do, but I, I do try to, to see it from other perspectives. And I do understand how it could feel like, you know, putting nuclear waste, regardless of whether it's fuel, transuranic waste, whatever, underground, it does mm -hmm. on the surface kind of seem like a bury it and forget it concept, but yeah. trying to explain to people who don't want to understand that it's actually the best plan is really hard <laughs> because, you know, you don't want to sound like you're preaching or promoting or selling something. But at the same time, you want them to understand that it actually is a good plan. Like it actually is a solid plan. Well, and, and, and if you want corroboration to that sort of an idea, you, you go talk to the residents around the Hanford nuclear plant and the Native Americans that have reservations that border that. Uh, you know, there's been huge concerns about the Columbia River and the, protecting that waterway uh, and the groundwater contamination from the bomb making activities at Hanford. They read, readily understand that what we're doing is of great benefit to them and, and that this is the way to go because they're, of course, they have the lion's share of waste, but you know, they're also in environmentally critical areas that Columbia River 
you know, the, just from the, the habitat of the salmon runs and, and, and that sort of thing. And then of course, you know, the Native Americans reservations, you know, being threatened, you know, it, it makes great sense to put it out of harm's way. Where the whip site is, is, you know, we have vast open country down here in Southern New Mexico, very low population, Carlsbad's 50,000, Hobbs is 50,000. And that's, we're 70 miles apart. And we'll put it right in the middle between those two places. Earthquakes are very minimal. You know, and it's in a and it's in salt, which slowly creeps and and, and encases it. It entombs it, and that's the purpose of putting it in salt. It slowly the the walls, the ceiling comes down, the walls come in, and compacts it in those drums and entombs it for eternity. It's Mm -hmm. it we want we designed it to be non-retrievable, and uh, we're just winning a uh, a uh, we're getting ready to take some of the uh, surplus plutonium from Savannah River. and uh, we're also negotiating with the Russians to take, we were, the United States was supposed to dispose of some surplus plutonium from Russia. Oh, and wow. they're going to downblend, yeah, they're going to downblend the plutonium from the bombs and put it in what's called starlight. It's a, a, a substance that makes it hard to bring the plutonium back out and extract it. And then they're going to put 2,000 feet in the ground and let the salt entomb it mm-hmm. for nobody to mess with. Nobody be able to retrieve it. You know, those sort of things. I think that makes our world a little safer and a little nicer place myself. Yeah, it's true. Luckily, I shouldn't say luckily, but here in Canada, because also our fuel is very different. We use natural uranium in our reactors. We don't have enriched uranium. So we have no plans of taking other countries fuel waste whatsoever. It's only Canadian waste. And our situation here is a little bit different. Proposed site is like three kilometers outside of town, so it's definitely not like, you know, it's not, 50, it's not like thirty-five miles away. Yeah. And you know, there's a river that runs through the the property that the NWMO has optioned or purchased, and it's, but it's still trying to explain to people that what's on top of the the ground doesn't really matter. Like it's what's under the ground that really controls the waste in the mm-hmm. long term. So it's 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 complicated, right? To to even compare the two projects because people do look at the whip and they say, Oh, look, it's in the middle of nowhere in the desert. There's no one nearby. Yeah. It's very different, but I don't think that yeah, means you that do it's have more or less safe. No, but yeah, you do have some more concerns that you'll have to address more, more so than we did, you know, cause that was our, our claim to fame is that it's out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, you know, but you know what we, what we're doing with the whole project, which is going to be located in the same area is that whole had made some, uh, mock-ups of the uranium pellets, the enriched uranium pellets. And they're, they look like about the size of a big eraser and about uh, uh, three centimeters long. And you have to say, well, then you need to explain to me how this pellet is going to get through three feet of concrete and 12 inches of steel mm-hmm. and get into the groundwater. And in your case, you know, yeah. that's, that's, that's the argument I would think I would make is that that little pellet is insoluble and it's in that much in shielding and encasement encasement how does it get out uh you know our our, our site for the um, spent nuclear fuel at the holtec project uh those those canisters that transport it are designed to take a missile hit yeah you know, they're 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 designed to withstand any kind of terrorist acti- act or any natural activity to keep mm-hmm. the fuel safe and away and from everybody yeah. And that's always, that is always what I, well, I tried to follow up with when people would say, oh, this DGR is eventually going to leak. 
I'm like, what's going to leak? Because we're storing a solid. We're not storing a liquid. Well, like and I think that's where pe- people see people. Well, people have seen the 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 comic The Simpsons. Yeah. And they draw nuclear waste as being some sort of glowing green liquid. Yeah. When it is none of that, especially in the spent fuel arena, it's it's solid hard pellets, and they're they're the most radioactive the day they come out and every day then they get colder and less radioactive as time goes on right and you know some of the older stuff is is you know there's decommissioned sites where there's nuclear fuel that have been there for decades and doing just fine you know the test the test of everything is the test of time and i think you can point to spent nuclear fuel in both probably canada and the United States and say, has there ever been a leak? Has there ever, you know, and you can't really point to anything, even, even the major accidents in, in the world, Fukushima and uh, Chernobyl, those were caused, well, one was caused by a natural disaster and it was actually the active plant that blew up and caused the reaction. Uh, Same with Chernobyl, it was the active plant. It wasn't the stored fuel that caused any problems. And that was, you know, by operator error in Chernobyl, of course. But, you know, there's no operator error by putting spent fuel in the ground and letting it sit. Yeah. And it's funny, actually, um, here in Bruce County, we were home to Bruce Power, uh, the, the world's largest operating nuclear plant right now. And nobody bats an eye at those eight reactors that are running every day. But this storage facility in it's trying to explain the difference there, right? That nothing's going to be fissioning in this facility. I am a firm believer in the safety of the plant. I work there. I'm an operator there. have full faith in the safety of that. And this DGR is way safer. Like it, it's really not even comparing apples to apples. It's apples to oranges. Absolutely. If you did a safety analysis on both places, you would find that the, uh, the waste storage facility for the spent nuclear fuel is f- by far safer. Yeah, and, I, and it's hard for me to put that into words because I don't ever want to make it sound like the plant isn't safe because it is. It's ridiculously safe. Yeah, right, right, and this right. Is even this is even safer yet. And it's, it's just funny yes. to me that nobody cares about the plant there. It's like, oh yeah, whatever, Bruce Power's there. They do their thing, which is awesome. But everyone's freaking out about this underground storage facility and it just doesn't make sense well i think you know if if you want to take a thousand yard view of everything it's important that we have nuclear in the mix for all the the for uh, energy production for several reasons number one it's green people don't want to say it's green but it is green it does not produce any carbon dioxide it actually produces hydrogen which you can power cars with or anything else you know, you, if you want to have a hydrogen economy instead of a carbon economy, there's a good place right to start right there, yep. uh, first off and foremost. And you need a base load. You know, out in here in New Mexico, we have a lot of wind. We have a lot of heat and sunshine. So we can do wind and solar, but you still need a base load uh, power supply. And yep. right now that's being addressed with natural gas uh, turbine uh, generation stations. But, you know, those we they, they have their own issues. Last year, we had a, a, a Canadian snowstorm down here in the desert. Oh, my goodness. We, yes. We, we called it Snowmageddon and it froze off at the wells. And so they couldn't get 
natural gas to the power station. So the power station scrammed offline. And so there were millions of people without power and heat. And certainly, you know, solar and uh, wind were not able to generate during something like that. So you and know, weather you, conditions you, really... you probably were not prepared for. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm going to tell you, it's a freak storm from down here. I mean, today it's 85 degrees outside. So, mm-hmm. you know, so this is this is what we, you know, this caught us completely off guard. But it points out an important facet that you need to diversify your power and nuclear is a big pillar of that. Yeah, and I know up here in Canada also, our candy reactors are a big supplier of radioactive medical isotopes, which mm-hmm. are like, they're lifesavers. You know, they're they're curing cancer every day. They're sterilizing medical equipment. And I don't think anyone can argue against that, especially given the world these days. We need all the, we need all the medical stuff we can get. Absolutely. Um, so then I'm curious, I'm not really familiar with what other industries um, you guys have or major industries, I should say, around Carlsbad, but has the facility or the nuclear industry ever affected either positively or negatively any of the other industries in the area? I know we have a lot of farmers here in South Bruce, but a good number of them are really pushing that this is going to ruin agriculture. No, we are a very diverse community. We have ranching and farming. We have tourism because of the Carlsbad Caverns National Park and, and the Guadalupe National Park. And it's a very beautiful, even though it's desert, it's a very beautiful area to do outdoors things. Uh, mm-hmm. We also have oil and gas. We are the largest oil and gas producer, our county, Eddie County, in the state of New Mexico. And uh, we're in the top 10 nationwide. So there's a lot of oil and gas production here in the, the shale plays here. Uh, we also have potash industry, which is basically what's founded this uh uh, this th- that in agriculture founded this town. Uh, the potash reserves are still doing well, and uh, to be honest, they uh, they don't really impact each other. Uh, an unusual side note is is that one of the Texas groups that is opposing our spent fuel uh, facility for a whole tech is based out of West Texas in Houston, also, uh, and they 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 are against it because they think somehow that it's going to seep down into the oil and contaminate the oil. Yet on the project, in the project area, we have allocated, because you can't really have somebody vacate their mineral rights, Mm -hmm. but you, so we have set up drill islands so they can drill on our property for oil. Oil's about 8,000 feet. We got Sandia Labs and some other uh, scientists to run safety and and geotechnical specifications on it and said it would not interfere whatsoever with our project, nor would our project interfere with their oil and gas production. Um, the, the potash, there is potash under there too. And so where oil and gas is not uh, being used, potash could theoretically go in there, but we're uh, proposing to the state that they waive those uh, potash rights and they get remunerated re- for them. They'll get paid for what's under there uh, for them not to let those leases out to be uh, exploited. Okay. But for the most part, it works along hand in hand. You know, we, we've tried to be, you know, good partners and with WIP, that's a federally blocked land that is taken off the plant, off the plat. It's called a federal withdrawal act. 
it was passed and it takes it out of the domain of anything there. You can't do oil and gas on it. You can't do potash under it and you can't do anything else other than what is intended for, for waste disposal. And it's a 16 square mile area. Mm-hmm. And right I now think I've seen probably... a picture of that actually, where it was a, it was like a bird's eye view. I can't remember if it was a map or an image and you can literally uh-huh. see all the like drills around the, the the perimeter of the of the site which was pretty yeah. funny like oh well you know where whip is it's right there <laughs> yeah absolutely where nothing else is yeah and yeah. and you know they they're they're all good with that i mean there's plenty of ways to to work around doing extractive industry and not and not take that 16 square miles in there and really out of the 16 square miles whip at this point its footprint is about one square mile mm-hmm. that's it you know, as far as waste emplacement and top uh, gr- ground facilities and everything, that's about all there is. There's plenty of room to expand if needed. But to be honest, right now, we're looking at cleaning up legacy waste. And, you know, we know that's a fairly finite amount of waste. And so we can kind of do the math and see where we're at. We should have enough room for that. The future missions of WIP uh, are right now they're doing the uh, Nuclear Modernization Act in the United States where they're upgrading all the nuclear weapons. Oh, and wow. so they're, they're redoing the pits. They're, they're reproducing the pits because they, get, they corrode and they get impure. So they have to re- refine them. And so they're doing that. And that, uh, is gonna, that activity is going to be at Savannah River and at Los Alamos, the pit production. So they're going to generate some new waste, new legacy waste. So, and I've been very keen to look and make sure that we can afford to put that waste in, you know, and, and keep and, and dispose of it in a timely manner. So it doesn't stockpile like the uh, previous uh, uh, nuclear weapons campaigns did. Yeah. You don't want to take steps backwards. That's for sure. No, no. And I think DOE has really understood that and they're, they're going to uh, work on on processing that waste and just you know sliding it into the waste stream with the legacy waste to get rid of it as well so that they can keep everything managed and so just to reiterate so the local ranchers have never had people like refuse to buy their cattle or their whatever because they're near the whip or things like that haven't happened no, not at all. You know, there are ranches around there, active ranches with cattle and watering holes and everything. And nobody ever has brought up, you know, had a complaint with that or said, well, my cows are radioactive. I'm going to file a complaint against you. You know, none of that has ever happened in the area. You know, as a matter of fact, some of the main access roads to whip are used by oil and gas and people that work out in the oil patch and at the, the um, uh, potash mines as well as ranchers they use those roads just as long as they're on the other side of the fence they're well used people hunt out there you know there's there's desert deer out there and uh, whatnot and so people hunt around the facilities you aren't radioactive either i assume (laughs) no they are not (laughs) (laughs) seems like an obvious question but i feel like i should ask actually the the largest deer out in this area are out in the desert not in the mountains they're oh wow they they, they grow big out in the desert. The best place to get them then. It's the hardest, but it's the best. The only other thing that I really wanted to talk about was the Carlsbad Environmental Monitoring and Research Facility. How is that facility run? Like, what does it do? What's the benefits okay. of it been to the community? I've only recently heard about it myself from Dr. Jim Conka when I interviewed him. And 
it really sparked my interest as something that I think is important to have. Well, that was kind of a bargaining chip with the community said, you know, if, if we're going to have a nuclear facility here, we want an independent monitoring agency. And so that was the, the groundswell and the spark that started them. They, when they first came in, they had this really interesting um, thing that's called lay down and be counted. And they were doing total body counts of everybody's radioactivity. Yep. And then they were monitoring and, and tracking data. And, and me being a baby that was exposed to fallout from the GNOME project here, I was two months old when GNOME went off and, and did not stay underground like it was supposed to. And, and mm -hmm. we had fallout. You know, so you can see the strontium uptake yeah. in my body. Yeah, like, you're glowing very interesting. Right now. Yeah, just very interesting thing. Just for the record, you're not glowing for all the people listening and not looking. You're no, not glowing. I'm perfectly fine. I'm perfectly fine. And everything, you know, it all resolved. It was a minimal exposure. But they counted all the people that were willing to lay down in their accounting machine. And now what they do is they monitor the uh, cam filters and every, uh, the continuous air monitoring and the uh, peripheral uh, monitors, and they basically track any kind of release or, or, or confirm any kind of release. So if DOE, during the incident in 2014, you know, they were releasing figures, and, and the figures they were actually relying on was the environmental monitoring figures because they were on top of it. Uh, that was run out of the University of uh, New Mexico State University, we're not sure about the future of who's going to run that right now because there's a, a little bit of a changeover in leadership. Uh, our local New Mexico State University branch is sprouting wings and, and coming out of the New Mexico State University thing and becoming its own university, own college. Okay. And uh, so we're, we're looking at what, how that's going to go forward, who's going to run it. But we want it to be run with the same amount of professionalism and uh, reliability that has, had, has gone on for all these years because people, you know, when we had town hall meetings about the WHIP incident, they were the front and center and the people would say, do I need to worry about my kids? And then they could get up and say, this is what we found and this is what this means to you. And in, in those terms, reassure the public because they're not tied to DOE, they're not tied to the site, they're independent and People have solace in the fact that you have an environmental monitoring uh, group. And, and I advocate that for anybody that has a nuclear project, you should have an in, independent environmental management group watching and, and, and monitoring everything. Because I think it gives you clarity on the project and it gives you uh, basically transparency you know, and trust. You build trust with the community. And the uh, trust it's almost... You, you know, it's almost a third party accountability too, right? Because then the, the people running the project are, you know, someone's holding them accountable and saying, well, this is what we saw, or this is what we think is going on based on what we're seeing. And it kind of gives them that an extra layer of accountability. Absolutely. And I, I think, it, I think it's good. And I think it's gone a long ways uh, to reassure the community on how well the project is going and its future. Yeah, for sure. And so just in closing my my question to you, being someone who lives near the WIP facility, if the WIP facility was storing spent nuclear fuel, would you still be comfortable living near it? Absolutely. We've, uh, you know, when it was first proposed, it was supposed to be for, you know, transuranic waste and also high level waste. Well, in order to speed the process on and to cut down on the regulatory permitting time, 
some concessions were made and high-level waste was taken out of the, the mix. Now, looking back on that, I think that was a huge mistake because it was well-suited for high-level waste. And, you know, since Yucca Mountain has been mothballed and put away, now we could really look at that and think, man, that would have been a perfect place to put it. And, and now, we, you know, there's no path forward for high-level waste at this point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I would be certainly comfortable with it. And I think, you know, that's why we, uh, I think that's why our Holtec project has been met with less opposition down here is that they say, oh, okay, well, it's another nuclear project. It's spent fuel. They understand the risks and they understand the built-in safety. Yeah, one of my main concerns with our local opposition here is that it's not so much a conversation of what is the safest option or where would this be the safest. It seems to come down to that NIMBY argument or not in my backyard where I don't care where it goes as long as it's not here. And I think that's a shame if it ends up, um, you know, if we end up with a nuclear storage facility somewhere where it's not going to be safe or it's not going to be as safe as it could be, say, here or in Ignace. And the only reasons it doesn't come here is because of misinformation campaigns. Well, and I think that's a question you need to put to your opposition to say, okay, well, if you don't think it's really good here, we're open to suggestions. Where, where do you think it should go? And see what kind of solution they have. Most of them, they say, leave it where it is. Yes, and that's, that's no exactly solution. what they say. That's no solution to any sort of problem. Status quo is never a solution to any problem. Yeah, exactly. And that's usually the solution that's given. Keep it where it is. Keep doing what we're doing. Yes. But anyway, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with me today. That's been awesome. Sure. If you ever get down this way, I can certainly arrange a tour of the website. Oh, that'd be awesome. If I if yeah, I can ever travel again, I <laughs> I will. Yeah, I will after, let you know. after the pandemic lifts, we we yeah we love to take people. Uh, I you know it takes a little bit of time to set it up, but we would love to take you down there and show you what we do. It's very impressive. Yeah, I'd, I'd love never to see it. I had never seen it until I got elected as a county commissioner, and they said, "Well, you need to understand what we're doing down here." come on down. And so I, we, we, the all newly elected county uh, officials, we all went down and took a tour and I was very impressed by the, the safety and by the operation in general. It's very well run. Yeah, that's cool. I'll have to add it to my list. I know I want to get to Finland to see their uh, repository too, that's being built. Oh, and France. Yeah. yeah the one I want to see is, is the one in France that uh, Arriva put in. I, I, I'd really like to see that one. Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole list. Well, again, Jack, thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of Willing to Listen South Brews Proud. I look forward to further investigating Canada's plan for spent nuclear fuel along with all of you. Thanks so much for joining me. And remember, we don't have to agree on anything to be kind to one another. Mm-hmm.